The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Now I heard a rumor that you're here to hear some stories. Some true stories. Some spooky stories. Well, it brings me great pleasure to tell you that you're in the right place. I have an excellent episode prepared this evening. A combination of paranormal ingredients sure to terrify. So let's kick things off over in Europe, Scotland to be exact, where we meet up with Harper, who has a story I thought I'd never get to cover. Hello, Derek. I've been wanting to call for quite some time. My name's Harper, and I I'm almost certain that I saw Loch Ness Monster this May when I returned home to Scotland. Long story short, I ended up going home to Scotland after about 17 years of living in Canada, after there was a sudden death in my family. If there's one thing I think everyone knows about death, it is that it makes people crazy and makes people sometimes unbearable. So just about every night I was in Scotland, I would drive myself down from Inverness to where the Loch Ness is, and I'd walk along a bit. It can still be quite heavily populated in that particular area, but it seemed like the nights when I would go, it was very, very quiet. And there was one night I was definitely just sitting down, I was just enjoying myself. Kind of the first time I had had silence in a while. When people are getting funerals ready, they're crazy, right? So I am sitting and I am watching the water and it's very calm. And suddenly there were ripples. And I don't think much of it. I never really believed in this Loch Ness Monster nonsense. And where I live in Canada, we also have a lake monster. And I don't generally believe in that either. But now I'm double guessing myself. Something very snake-like lifted its head out of the water. And what may have felt like forever, but was probably only a few seconds. And it was longer than any kind of animal I had seen before. And it seemed to be such a slow movement, so controlled, and yet at the same time, so fast. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to tell you this story because I feel like I'm not a very good storyteller, and it also sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? But isn't that what we're here for, the ridiculous? Long story short, I feel like it was there for maybe a solid five minutes of just kind of coming in and out of the water, in and out of the water with its head, and then it was gone. I remember I was in such a heightened mood of sadness and devastation as I had lost a cousin who was still quite young that I sometimes wonder if I hallucinated it or if something just grabbed my attention and my mind went crazy because for a moment I didn't want to be grief-stricken. Yeah, so that's my story. I I definitely feel like I had an encounter with something in the cryptozoology section 
or out loud, I'm going to sound really stupid when I hear myself, if I hear myself on uh, the podcast. So that's my story. I love your podcast. I've listened to it front and back, and I'm repeating it. Maybe one day I will call again. All right. Take care, Derek. Bye. Thanks, Arbor. The Loch Ness Monster. And for those not familiar, here is a clip. I'm just kidding. If you don't know what the Loch Ness Monster is, you've obviously been living under a rock or perhaps a lock for a majority of your life. But for those unfortunate folks who don't know of Nessie, she's a legendary monster some 1,500 years old and known to dwell in the darkened depths of Scotland's Loch Ness. A marine reptile, some say. Something akin to a plesiosaur. A real-life marine reptile that went extinct 65 million years ago. Now she pops up from time to time in the form of ripples, humps, or like in Harper's entry, a long neck protruding from the water. And of course, photos and videos surface from time to time. And sometimes, she's even found. A million pounds worth of scanning technology mapping the depths of Loch Ness. On the boat, a real-time view of what it's capturing, with the occasional surprise. Nessie, finally caught on camera. Yes, you heard that right. Not the flesh and blood version, unfortunately, but a 30-foot-long film prop which sank back in 1969. One story is that the uh, film director, Billy Wilder, asked that the humps be removed. Uh, and the story goes that they were associated with the buoyancy. And, uh, well, the inevitable happened, and um, down she went. Now that clip courtesy of BBC. And the prop the film was intended to be used on was Billy Wilder's The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, starring Sir Christopher Lee. Now, I've never actually seen the film myself. There's no word on if Nessie survived long enough to appear in the film. But you know, sonar isn't the only search of the lock worthy of discussion. But before we dive down that rabbit hole, we first need to know what eDNA is. And here to describe it perfectly for us are the fine folks from Illumina, South Asia Pacific. Environmental DNA, or eDNA, is building on that foundation and expanding our ability to not only understand individual creatures, but entire ecosystems. We can collect samples from different ecosystems, including things like soil, ice cores, and water bodies like sea, rivers, and sewage. These samples contain the DNA shed by animals into their environment. Using next-generation sequencing, or NGS, we can detect thousands of species simultaneously from a single sample. By studying them, we are able to get a snapshot of the ecosystem that exists there. From the larger visible animals right down to the invisible world of phytoplankton and other microscopic creatures. So in other words, if it lives in the lake, it should show up as an unidentified sequence. They then match these sequences against a database that I assume contains most of the world's known species. So, by now I'm assuming you're assuming that they performed one of these eDNA scans on the lock. And in this case, we'd both be right. The mystery around Scotland's fabled Loch Ness Monster may have finally been solved, with scientists suggesting it could well be an eel albeit a very big one. A group of international scientists analysed DNA found in the loch's icy waters. Those results ruled out the presence of large animals such as dinosaurs, said the team's leader, Professor Neil Gemmell. Plesiosaurs extinct, but very clearly a reptile, so it should sit somewhere between crocodilians and birds, and there's nothing remotely like that in our sequences. When a creature moves through an environment, it leaves fragments of DNA, which can be sequenced to identify it. In Loch Ness, the scientists found an abundance of eel DNA. So eels are four to six foot in length. It's plausible that there one, might be one that, that or two that, that, that grow to extreme size. Now that one, courtesy of rooters. So there's at least a glimmer of hope that this creature is a living, breathing animal. 
I think that's all that we need to keep this legend alive. And you know, if I'm honest, the creature described by Harper does sound like the behavior of a large fish taking insects off the top of the water. So a six, seven, eight foot eel. Sounds like a monster to me. Thanks again, Harper, for calling in. I'm tickled that we got to hear that story. Now maybe you too have a monster story you'd like to report. Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at Monsters Among Us Podcast for more submission options. Now tonight's next entry comes to us from Nicole in the state of Tennessee. Hello, this is Nicole, and I have a story from Maryville, Tennessee. I'd always thought that, you know, I had seen things or I heard stories. And I was like, oh, it'll never happen to me. Or, you know, maybe that was just a shadow out of the corner of my eye. But me and my husband had moved to an old farm, and it was a conning farm is what it was called. It was the last name of the family that had had it for hundreds of years. And they had turned the barn into a little one-bedroom apartment. So that underneath of it still had, I guess, tools and stuff like that or whatever. I wasn't sure. It wasn't part of our, you know, lease agreement. So I never went in there. And then right off of my kitchen, there was a doorway that would walk you to the other half of the bee house is what they called it. I wasn't working at the time. My husband was working very long hours. And I remember me being the only one in the house. And I seen this gentleman walk past me. And it was just plain as day. And he had this plaid shirt on and he had a little pocket protector and he had these little khakis on and he was mumbling, got to get the wood plain, got to get the wood plain. I'd never heard plain wood before. I didn't know. I was from Long Beach, California, so I didn't have a clue. And it was just a beautiful day out and I thought, oh, maybe I'm just tired. I need to take a nap or something. So I didn't think nothing about it. So later on that evening, I was making supper for my husband. It was probably about eight o'clock at night. And I was in the kitchen, which the doorway was right there to the left of me. And all of a sudden, I got this cold chill up my back, and I looked behind me, and there is that gentleman again. The same shirt, same pocket protector. I'll never forget what he looked like. And I was like, oh, that was really weird. And he disappeared into the door. I was like, "Mm, okay, that was strange. I'm going to wait and see. You know, maybe I'm just, you know, I don't know. So we ate supper when my husband got home. We laid down to go to bed, never, you know, talked about it or anything because I was embarrassed. And a couple weeks later, I was standing in the kitchen again, and I hear gotta get the wood plane we need to get this finished and I look over he looks at me same shirt same pocket protector the same pants and he walks right through me and he goes through that door to the garage and I thought okay time to talk to my husband I got home that night I was like honey I need to tell you something there was a man here and he was like well who was it and I was like well and I explained to him that the man wasn't really a man but it was like a, a vision or a figment of my imagination or something and he was like well what did he look like and I explained it to him and he turned white as a ghost and he said oh my gosh he said that's Frank's dad and I was like what he's like he's been gone for about 10 years I'd say he's like there's no way you could have known what he looked like I was like well he was talking about playing in the woods he said honey they used to play wood over there the other side of the garage he said it used to be the beach house I was like oh okay well as long as he doesn't bother me I mean I guess I'm gonna go ahead and let him finish with doing what he's doing And my husband said, oh, you're silly. And I was like, okay. So we go to bed that night. And all of a sudden, my husband's like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. I was like, okay. He gets up to go walk to the bathroom. And he comes running back to bed, throws the blankets over his head. He was like, oh, my gosh, I just walked through Frank's bed. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I seen him. And he explained the shirt to me and everything. And I said, I told you. He's been going through the kitchen, going to the garage since we moved in. It was unreal. But I never told anybody else about it. I never explained it to anybody. And... I didn't know that there was anyone else to talk to until I found this podcast. So I thank you and hope you guys have a wonderful, blessed day. Thank you, Nicole. I thoroughly enjoyed this entry. And it kind of puts things in perspective. I hope that someday people tell stories of a flannel-clad ghost roaming the narrow rooms of this cabin. Or wherever it is I end up. A specter mumbling into the ether. Thursday's coming. I gotta get to work on the show. But honestly, how incredible is it that you actually knew who the ghost was in this scenario? That's probably a detail that takes a bit of the sting out of a 
jarring sighting like that. Well, here's to Frank's dad, and here's to Nicole for an incredible entry. Thanks again for calling in. Now next up is a tale from one of our own. This next submitter is one of the amazing souls that keeps the ever-expanding Facebook group afloat. So please welcome Sarah from California to the program. Hi Derek, it's Sarah and my dog Tuca calling in from California. Now this took place in 2010 or 2011 and happened in Massachusetts where I used to live. That day, the weather was overcast with a slight drizzle and thunderstorms, but it was still light enough out to drive without having to turn my headlights on. Now, I was driving home with my friend down a street I have driven many times in my life when all of a sudden a huge black creature jumped out in front of my car and ran across the street into the woods. My friend saw the back half of the creature, so I know it wasn't my eyes playing tricks on me. Now, I have to say that we weren't under the influence of any drugs or alcohol or anything like that. So we know what we saw. I grew up in the woods around the area and have spent my whole life around animals. So I knew what I saw was something completely different from anything I ever saw before. The only way to really describe it was an enormous black hairy dog. It had a long, long snout and you could see all of its sharp teeth. Now, they didn't look like a normal animal teeth. They were all sharp canine teeth. Like, they didn't have, like, molars or whatever. This creature had glowing dark red eyes, but they didn't look at me. They were just focused on the road ahead to get to the woods. What I found weird was the creature's back. It wasn't like a normal dog or wolf back. It barely had a neck and then it went up into a huge hump. Kind of like when a cat is scared and arches its back up. That's what it looked like to me. I wish I had a picture or something. It was so huge. The tail was also long and bushy and its legs were longer than a normal canine's and you could see sharp claws on its paws. Now, even though this whole experience happened in seconds, it was like time stood still and everything was moving slower. I haven't been able to get the image of this creature out of my head since. It's like it has been imprinted there. And I think about it pretty much every day. And I still wonder what it is that I saw and I continue to do research on it. It did happen at a crossroad, so I didn't know if it could be a hellhound, a grim dogman, or who knows what else. I do have to mention that this did happen in a town that is part of the Bridgewater Triangle, so maybe that's why this creature was there. That was the one and only time I ever saw it, but I did always keep an eye out when I was driving down that road. Well, I hope you were able to use this story in your episode. Thanks for the awesome podcast, Derek. It's mine and my family's favorite. Keep up the great work. See ya. Thank you, Sarah. It's always great to hear from you, and what a way to reach out. A mystery black dog story. And given the description provided by Sarah, I think I have a suspect in mind. The tall-legged, ragged-toothed, humped-backed canine perfectly fits the description of a hyena from the continent of Africa. But how such a creature could find its way to the state of Massachusetts, it's beyond me. But I can promise you, it wouldn't be the first time Something like that happened. It appears that in the mid-1800s, a creature not even remotely native to this part of the world terrorized the Cape Cod town of Wellfleet. According to newspaper accounts at the time, hideous noises were sometimes heard at night, and strange footprints were found in the sand. Barnyards and chicken coops were under siege, and women and children were afraid to go outside. A massive hunt was organized for an animal believed to be a hyena, based on descriptions provided by those that had glimpsed the dreadful beast. Though none could imagine where such a creature could have come from. Maybe it escaped from the Bridgewater Triangle or further west from the Coabin Reservoir, both known for their bizarre animal sightings. Or maybe, if it really was a hyena, It had somehow arrived by boat from Africa, India, or the Middle East, so that it could be definitively identified. As the hyena hunt went on, 
the hideous noises drifted further and further away until the nights finally became silent once again. But the legend was memorialized in a poem by Dr. Thomas Newcomb Stone in his 1869 book, Cape Cod Rhymes. Stone was a Wellfleet physician who enjoyed writing what he called rhymes rather than poetry. A portion of his rhyme called The Hyena Hunt goes as follows. In Wellfleet, when the sun was low, all bloodless lay the untrodden snow, and dark and dreary was the flow of the Atlantic dashing ceaselessly. But Wellfleet saw another sight when the horns were blown at morning light, assembling men with musket bright to join the hunt right willingly. Oh, few could tell when many met, when the hunt was o'er and the sun was set, with legs well tired and faces wet, what foe they chased so valiantly. And still, as though those woods of pine, the traveler winds at eve's decline, he stands to hear the fearful whine of hyena's dreadful mystery. Some vow it is lioness bore by ships from Africa's sunny shore. The paces now are Cape Sands or moaning for whelps most piteously. Some still a hyena whose fearful howl had shook the woods of Tanakau in company with the fierce jackal fighting the fella hideously. Some believers with taunting sneer swore twas a goat, a dog, a deer whose footsteps magnified by fear had ceased the fearful hearted. But there those fearful footsteps stand embedded on Atlantic strand and the moaning cry runs through the land as if from loved ones parted. Now I'm pretty sure I butchered that poem but there's some interesting details found within. Now that passage was from a book called Haunted Massachusetts Ghosts and Strange Phenomena of the Bay State and with that knowledge in mind perhaps we should be looking at these reports of laughing sounds coming from the forests more seriously going forward and as always thank you Sarah for all you do I'm trying out a new live app called Wisdom and I would love for you guys to join me for our first ever live MAU after show now Wisdom app allows you to join the conversation so I'll be able to discuss tonight's episode with you and take questions I think this will be a fun way to connect with you all. So please join me on Wisdom by downloading the Wisdom app on your phone, then searching for my username at Monsters Among Us Podcast. Then be sure to follow me. Following our account ensures that you'll be notified whenever I go live. And my first live after show on Wisdom will be this coming Monday, December 13th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Now I'll put the link for the Wisdom app up in the show notes for this evening's show. And I'm certainly looking forward to talking to you all on Monday. Again, that's the Wisdom app found wherever you get your apps. And I'll see you guys on Monday. So for this next one, we venture to the state of Texas, where Jared's entry is waiting for us. Hey, Derek. I'm Jared. I'm from Texas. And calling to tell you a story that happened to me at Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, where I went infantry OSET. I shipped out to infantry OSET June 30th, 2020, and I just graduated December 14th. So uh, this story actually happened at reception, which is where you go before you actually get to your basic training unit. So because of COVID, we were there for two weeks instead of the normal three to five days. But um, I was in Alpha Company, Bay 203, I think. It was, I don't remember what night. I'd, I'd been there for a few days already. But I was on what's called Fire Guard, which basically you're just up in the middle of the night for an hour, just like watching you clean the bay and everything. And uh, 
So I was in there, I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth because it's like 3 a.m. I was like, I'll just brush my teeth for the morning. And uh, my fire guard partner comes in and he's like, dude, why, why are you singing? And I, I just thought he was like messing with me. So I just like flipped him off and uh, I kept brushing my teeth. And then I came back out and uh, I went inside at the desk and he was like, dude, why the hell were you singing? It's 3 a.m. I was like, dude, I thought you were messing with me. Like, I wasn't singing, I was just brushing my teeth. And uh, he said, no, nah, I heard singing. And then like four people woke up and complained about singing from the bathroom. And I've been in the bathroom and I, di I didn't hear anything. I was like, oh, you know, okay, that's, that's a little weird. And then this actually happened the next night. I had fire guard again, different partner. But uh, we decided to go around and lock all the lockers for whatever reason, I don't, I don't remember. So we go, we lock the lock at the front of the room and continue locking. And like literally 30 seconds after we locked this locker, my partner looks at me, he's like, hey, didn't you just lock this locker? I was like, yeah, man, I just, just locked it like not even a minute ago. He goes, dude, come here. And I, I walk over there and this, this locker's wide open. I'm like, ah, and I just, I, oh, I had a weird feeling, man. I don't know what it was, but you know, we, we made it through. And then, I don't know, that, that was like the two big things that happened, but you just hear weird stuff in that bay, like, You'd be in the bathroom brushing your teeth and you'd hear flip-flops running to the showers. Side note, everybody had flip-flops to shower in because the showers are nasty. So uh, everybody had flip-flops. But you'd hear flip-flops running to the shower and you'd go look to see who's getting in the shower and there's nobody there. It's just weird stuff like that. Toilets would flush themselves. It's, I don't know, man. Definitely some weird stuff has happened there, so it's not surprising. But uh, if you have an explanation for sure, tell me what you think. And... Uh, Appreciate all you do. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks, Jared. Now there's a location I should add to my frequently haunted list. From now on, military barracks join hospitals, jails, schools, theaters, and libraries as my list of buildings most likely to harbor paranormal activity. Now it's certainly creepy stuff, so thank you, Jared, for sharing your experiences. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Italic. Italic isn't an everything store. They're your everything store. Their marketplace connects you with the manufacturers behind the world's biggest brands and most in-demand products and delivers them straight to your door for up to 63% less. Italic has a curated selection of over 500 products, including everything from clothing and jewelry to items for your home and pets. They even put together a great gift guide with ideas that will take the stress out of your holiday shopping. Their team of in-house product experts vet every product to ensure it's the highest of quality. And they also extensively vet their manufacturers on the ground, visiting factories and inspecting materials. Now, I personally love their selection of outdoor and travel products, and they cost less than what it would normally from a regular brand. By taking the brand and retail markup out of the equation, they're able to deliver the lowest prices possible. So head on over to italic.com, that's I-T-A-L-I-C, and get 10% off your first order of $50 or more using code MONSTERSAMONGUS. That's code MONSTERSAMONGUS at italic.com for $10 off your first order. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the spooky stuff. Now next up, we venture about as far south as we can go. Patrick from Australia. Welcome to the program. Hi Derek. My name is Patrick. I live in Launceston, Tasmania. And that's in Australia. I thought I'd call in and just give you a, a bit of a story about a, a UFO that I think I spotted. There's a few details about it that I haven't really heard before if it was a UFO, so this might be a little different and worth mentioning. So I just came outside one night, it was quite late, um, I'd put the kids to bed and I was just playing some video games and this was actually only about a month ago, probably in, in February 2020, so it was quite late, I was ready to go to sleep, I just finished playing some video games, went outside and I just turned my computer off, which is in the, the shed outside. I have a studio out there, and I just turned it off. 
And then usually I just I was just taking a leak just outside before I went back inside so I didn't because I don't like to use the toilet inside I don't want to wake everybody up with the flushing and stuff so I just <laughs> I just took a leak in the bushes and while I'm doing that I was just looking up quite a nice clear sky and there was this flashing in in the darkness of the sky and I was just kind of looking into the distance and it caught my eye and it was kind of weird. Like, I, I didn't immediately think, oh, wow, UFO. I, I was just kind of observing it because it was weird. It was So it was pretty much pitch black. I couldn't see anything, but it would flash on and off. And the weird thing about it, it, was, it wasn't... Like, I was trying to work out, is it, is it a plane or anything? But it wasn't moving. It was just staying in one exact spot as if it was like a big star or something but it was way brighter it would it would beam on and off but it didn't have a pattern uh, like an exact pattern about it you know how if you see a plane and a plane would have an exact pattern of lights that flash they just blink every second or something i don't know well this was different it would flash and then it would go off but it would hold the flash and then it would go off and then it would be I don't know, a few seconds later it would come back on, but maybe it would hold the light for an extra few seconds and then it would come off. And then it might be a bit longer, probably like five seconds, and then it would come on again. Because I stared at this for a long time and there was just, it was, there was no pattern. It was like someone was just controlling. A really good way to describe it would be, you know how in your house, if you just turn the dimmers on, on your light, maybe in like the ceiling lights, and you can control the dimmer to turn it on and off, up and down slowly, like the, the brightness would slowly, gradually lighten up, and then you could dim it back down. It was like that. It wasn't flashes, like blinks. It was more as if someone was controlling a dimmer, and it was just going really to, to really bright, and it took a little while, and then it would slowly come back down to pitch black, and then it would just be, take a little while, and it would just... And, uh, yeah, and if I had to try and describe if there was any details or anything, no. It was literally just a light that I could see in the sky really far away. There was no detail I couldn't see. It was too dark. It was just a big light just just kept flashing on and off. And it was really bizarre. I I didn't have my phone or anything. I was in my pajamas. Uh, I wanted to go and take a photo. So I went inside to get my phone and... When I came back out, it was actually, it was just gone. It wasn't there anymore. I was trying to tell my wife about it and then uh, get her to come out and have a look. And when we both came out, it was just gone. It was just not there, so. And that's really it. I just thought I would call in and tell you about that. I found that quite interesting. I don't really know what it could be. Like I said, it didn't move in the sky like a plane or a drone would. And I know, from what I know, I don't think drones flash like that and just have some and it was really quite bright it was almost like a spotlight was beaming out so it wasn't just like a little blink of a light it was more like if someone had a torch or or a uh, more of a spotlight and it was just beaming out from the sky in a controlled manner Um, so yeah I just I don't know what it could be I was trying to work it out and I'm really just stumped. I do not know. That's why I, that's why I thought I'd call in and let you know about this one. It didn't move across the sky. It stayed in one exact spot and it just kept, just kept blinking. That's it. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let me know what you think. And, um, yeah, I hope you find this interesting. If anyone else has had any, uh, similar you know encounters like this that might have a different insight that that's great i'd love to hear it okay thanks mate i love 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 the show i'm a i'm binging it right now okay bye thanks patrick now believe it or not i've got an experience that's at least similar to this and i can't recall if i've shared this one on the show but here's a short refresher about 12 to 15 years ago Me and two buddies were hiking Dry Lake Trail in the San Gorgonio Wilderness here in Southern California. After a grueling hike, we made it to the Dry Lake area, and we set up camp. 
Now, I believe this location is somewhere around eight or 9,000 feet, so it's fairly remote and has a nice, darkened sky. Perfect for sky watching. Well, after dinner, we were staring at the sky since fire risk has outlawed campfires in that region long ago. And that's when we began to notice a pulsating light. It was white, dim, and seemed to have no source whatsoever. It would simply light up the entire sky, momentarily like a strobe light, with quick bursts of ambient light. A burst that would repeat every two seconds or so. Now try as we may, we could not find a cell tower, radio tower, anything in the vicinity that could cause the strange anomaly. I don't think it was paranormal in any way, but we never did figure it out. So I'm with you, Patrick. Stumped, puzzled, perplexed. But maybe with a little luck, some listener out there might just have some insight for us. One tiny detail that might open this mystery right on up. But until then, thanks Patrick for sharing the entry. Now I'm pretty sure I'm going to run over time this week, but I still want to get these quick announcements in. The Monsters Among Us shop is stocked, at least with t-shirts. Our order from Streetlight Printing just showed up last night. Thanks, Nick. And these babies are ready to make their way under your tree this holiday season. So just visit monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop to pick up yours today. And while you're typing, hit up patreon.com forward slash monstersamonguspodcast and join our Patreon campaign for a mere $4 a month. And that gets you access to some 50 plus bonus episodes and much, much more. Now our next entry is one that just might send the buyer of one particular board game right back to the store for a refund. Please welcome Macy from Utah to the program. Hey Derek, I'm Macy. I'm from Utah. This story took place probably about seven years ago. I was a single mom. I was living with my oldest son who was very little at the time, um, little enough to sleep in a crib. And at that time, I had a best friend. I'll just call him Jay for the first letter of his name. And he would come and hang out with me, and we would chill. We both have always been into the paranormal, and he introduced me to a Ouija board. So we would play it. We would just have fun. We didn't really expect very much from our experience playing with it. But one night, it started selling things, and we couldn't really make sense of what it was saying. So we decided to just write letters down as it was spelling them to us and try to decipher it after we were done playing. It kept repeating the same letters, and all we could get out of it was what we thought said pew dove write, and we couldn't understand it or decipher it. Anyhow, life moved forward and Jay got a graveyard shift job and we stopped hanging out. But after that incident, a few months later, I had come home exhausted. I was working two jobs and I laid down on my bed. My eyes had just closed. I, I was not asleep. I just had barely closed my eyes and I heard someone say my name, but they didn't say it out loud. They whispered it and it was very bizarre. They said, they dragged out the syllables. Uh, my eyes popped open, and my first thought was that a friend had come in or my son's father to stop by for something. So I immediately ran down the hall into the living room to see if anyone was playing a prank on me. When I saw the front door, my heart sank. It was completely bolt locked, and no one had a key. So I knew that I was alone in my apartment. It freaked me out. So I had never heard of smudging or staging at that time. I, I didn't know any means of getting rid of any dark entity or what I thought at the time was a dark entity. Uh, a few nights later, I had a dream, a really, really horrible nightmare about my baby. Uh, in the dream, I had walked down the hall to check on him. It was very, very dark. I couldn't see where I was going, I could hear it clanking like a ding, 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 ding. I walked into his room and in my dream, he was sitting in his crib with his eyes were pure white and he would 
banging a spoon back and forth, ding, 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 on the crib bars. So I woke up breathless. I was terrified out of my mind. And I walked to my kitchen sink, and I have no idea why this particular night I went to the kitchen sink instead of my bathroom sink, but I went to splash water on my face in my kitchen sink. And as I was bringing myself back up from splashing water on my face, I was standing back up. A chandelier that was positioned directly above my seat came crashing down. It was so loud. Shards of glass were flying everywhere. Shards of glass cut me on my arms. And I knew for sure there was something in this apartment. So my son and I moved out shortly after. A few years went by. I was in a different house and I reconnected with Jay. I invited him over for coffee to see how he was doing. And she came over and he said, for old time's sake, what if I bring my Ouija board? And I was like, yeah, that would be fun. I have another friend from work who's going to come over tonight too. And it was the person from my work, my friend. It was his first time ever playing one. So he didn't really know how it worked. And he decided just kind of just to watch me and Jason. Coincidentally, Jay still had the notebook, I guess, just in the box he kept the Ouija board in with him and he pulled it out and put it next to him so he could write the letters of what we were seeing. It had been a few years, so we completely forgot about, you know, whoever was on the Ouija board previously or whatever experiences had happened. And suddenly Adrian looked at the notebook and he just went completely white. He just, all of the blood rushed out of his face and he just went white. And so Jay and I asked our friend, Adrian, why he was so freaked out. And he said, I, I, Macy, I didn't know you spoke Spanish. And I was surprised. And I'm like, what do you mean? I, I don't speak Spanish. But he said, yeah, you, you must. Because on that notebook, there's, for some reason, it, it, it says a Spanish thing. It, it says, like, Puerto Verte. Puerto Verte. I don't know if I'm, I probably sound so white. So I apologize if I hacked that. But he said it meant I can see you or I see you in Spanish. And that really freaked Jason and I out. Anyway, after the, this incident, a friend taught me about energy and about staging your house and, and how energy can affect your surroundings and affect a lot of things around you, electronics, so many things. And basically what I think happens is I absolutely believe in the paranormal. I've seen dark enemies. I've experienced very horrific feelings. And science talks about how there is cellular intelligence and how on a cellular basis and even deeper than that, we hold energy. So it's like, you know, inside cells are atoms and then molecules and particles and composite subatomic particles and all the way on a quantum scale it's just energy. So I I think that my my belief is that we attract based on this energy that we have in our body, we can attract positivity or negativity similar to a battery and that I had attracted something negative during that period of time in my life. Anyway, in the meantime, I absolutely love your show. I am binging it. I'm only halfway through, so I probably have no idea what's going on um, in the here and now on the show, but I I just love this show. It's like my favorite podcast, and thank you for the chance to share. Okay, take care. Spooky stories. That's what's going on. That's what's always going on here at Monsters Among Us. Thanks, Macy, for calling in. And you know, speaking of spooky, Macy, your entry is shiver-inducing, and I'm not a big proponent of the Ouija board. But of all the weirdness, the chandelier dropping near you was probably the eeriest. Now, real fast, before we dive into these last couple entries... Can I count on your vote? Now, each month, Paranormality Radio puts out the top 25 paranormal podcasts of the month. You may recall we ranked number one for the first couple issues. Well, we've been hovering around the five spot lately, and I know we're better than that. So, do me a favor. Vote for MAU. For free at ParanormalityRadio.com. If I'm honest, the fine ladies at Let's Get Haunted have 
held the title for too long. We're coming for that top spot. Again, that's ParanormalityRadio.com. Now this next one was sort of hinted upon earlier in the broadcast. So please welcome an anonymous caller from the state of Texas. Hey, good morning. Calling from Texas. Had a recent issue where my wife, my nephew, and daughter were sitting at the kitchen table. It was about 9, 9.30 at night because it was spring. The humidity was low, so we had the windows open. I just went to bed, and shortly after I fell asleep, my wife came running in the bedroom, which freaked me out and said she heard something out in the woods. She didn't know what it was, so I grabbed my gun, and I go out back looking around with the flashlight. Kind of had that eerie, someone's watching you feeling. So I didn't see anything. Checked uh, down by the creek, which is about 100 yards off from the back door, and came back inside, and I was talking to them, and they, you know, my family looked completely freaked out. You know, I was kind of thinking lightly of it, and they, I asked them what happened. And they said they were sitting there talking, and all of a sudden they heard a, something out in the woods cackle, you know, kind of like a cackling laugh. And they all froze. You know, you, you could tell by, I'm pretty good at reading people, and I could tell by them telling the story that they were completely freaked out. So I told them, you know, trying to calm them down, I said, like, it's, it was, could have been an owl. You know, mountain lions, bobcats, they, they make god-awful noises, like I said, as do owls. So I started playing them sounds off of YouTube, different animals that we have in the area, and, you know, different cats and owls. and it, Everything I played, they, they were like, no, that's not it. You know, so randomly I just started thinking, kind of almost a mess with them, skinwalkers. And I know if you go search on YouTube, you, you're going you're gonna to come up with some wild noises of skinwalkers. So I started looking for one, and, and I found one, and I didn't tell them what it was. And the video, I mean, it was kind of an older video. I don't remember the title, but, I mean, they, they were on an Indian reservation, and it was kind of real spooky noise. But anyway, so I played it, and... Right when it got to the sound, you know, I, I paused it and I said, tell me if this is it. So I, I played it for them. And now all their faces, all, all three of them, and my daughter at the time, she was uh, well, she's seven, my nephew's 12, and then, you know, my wife. Like I said, when I played that video for them and, and that noise, I mean, they, they were absolutely terrified. I mean, it gave me chills seeing them. Needless to say, the house was pretty spooked for a while. You know, we reached out to some Native American friends and, you know, our kind of things kind of got out of hand for a while. I don't know what it was. I believe it was an animal. My wife doesn't think so. So the the name Skinwalker isn't really said much around the house because it spooks everybody out. But anyways, it was a pretty creepy night. Take care. Thanks for all the work you do. God bless. Thanks, caller. I think you're probably onto something here. Critters of all kinds can make all sorts of sinister sounds, especially a bobcat in heat or a pack of coyotes. You know, maybe if it was another place, another time, we could suggest a hyena as well. Thank you again for submitting that creepy entry. And now, ladies and gents, something I think a good number of you are going to enjoy. Something I probably should have teased at the beginning, but I can't pass up a good surprise. Now, I have no idea where our next caller, Ray, is calling from. But I do know his story takes place on the U.S. island territory of Guam. And you might want to note the time before you start this next one. Ray, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, so my name is Ray. Uh, I left you a story before about 
an encounter I had when I was younger in the Philippines. Inherited back in season two. Well, I was just listening to a story about the married men, and I've been listening to your podcast since about the beginning. And I, I don't know why it just clicked now. I don't know why the memory just came to me, but I was just listening to a story about Strawberry Peak, about how um, a man and his friends, and they had a woman in their group who encountered some mirrored men in the fog. Well, back in Guam, when I was about, I'll say probably 10 years old, it was uh, early 2000s, 2001, 2002. I recall being at the beach one night with my mother, my dad. My dad had a small little Mazda truck. It was a, a single-cab Mazda truck. It had a center bench, so all three of us sat could fit in it perfectly. Well, one night we were coming home from a family get-together. I'd say it was probably around uh, 10 o'clock at night. Decided to drive to the beach because a family friend was there. So my dad parked the car on the on the sand, and um, my mom and I stayed in the vehicle. We stayed in the truck. My dad said he wouldn't take any more than I don't know, like 10 minutes. So my mom and I were just sitting there. We turned the truck off because we didn't want to waste gas. So. I just recall we were sitting in there, just relaxing, waiting on my dad. Eventually, my mom fell asleep. So we got to the beach at 10. I'd say my mom fell asleep probably around 10 minutes after we got there. So I'd say 10, 10. All I can recall is I was watching the shore. The moon was a very vibrant light just casting over the shoreline. The way the, the waves crashed against the shore hypnotic it's mesmerizing the way the moonlight just bounces off radiant water just creates this shine this glow it's very very distinct you can, you can see everything that happens on the water every single wave every single ripple you can see it all and I think that's what makes this memory so so vivid I recall there was a light from I want to say it was probably a public works building. I was watching the shore. My mom was asleep. She dozed off and she laid across the bench. I just remember sitting right in front of her and between her legs, you know, I was a small kid. And we were able to get comfortable in our, in our small little truck. I saw these shadows. They looked like shadows walking up the shoreline. I want to say there were three of them about three distinct shadows just walking. The shadows were casted on the shore and the shadows were up against the water as well. So these were some long shadows. I didn't see what was casting the shadows. There were coconut trees in the way, but I could see the little, the little public works building. I could see the light but I couldn't see the portion of the shore where someone would be standing if their shadow was cast. All I know is we were there, we were parked. My mom was asleep and it was 10-10 because that's when she fell asleep. My dad said he'd be back in 10 minutes and I'm watching these shadows and it almost felt like a mirage. It, it almost felt like a dream. It was so weird, but the reason I knew it wasn't a dream was because I was watching the water. I was watching the shore, and I was watching these shadows move. And I was in an upright position, and I recall sweating. Like, I just had this, this sense of anxiety like, I couldn't take my eyes off these shadows. I had to watch them. I had to make sure they didn't leave. I had to make sure they didn't just disappear and vanish. They were just there, just dancing, all three of them. It, it looked like three people walking towards you, like their shadows were walking towards you, all making the same movement, arms, legs, 
looked almost like military marching, but you know, I didn't see the people casting them. But the thing that scares me about thinking it, my theory why I took so long to recall this, I, I think of this memory every now and then, but I think of it for a second and I stop because it's, it was just so weird and it was so long ago. But I recall my dad opening the driver's side door and I looked at him and then I looked at the clock and he goes, sorry, it took so long, but we can go now, the party's over. And the clock says it was about 1 a.m. So I was watching Three Shadows do the exact same thing, marching towards me on the shore when nobody appeared for three whole hours. It was one o'clock. My mom was dead asleep. My dad opened the door and it went from 10.10 to one o'clock. How does that happen? The background of the memory is the beautiful radiance of the moonlight bouncing off the waves on the shore. The way the ocean just sat there calm and peaceful with these shadows bouncing off the water, with these shadows being projected onto the sand and shore and how vivid it all was and how the memory seemed like it was so short but the reality of the moment was it took three hours for my brain to record all that when it felt like I was only looking at the shadows for no longer than maybe a few minutes what felt like a few minutes translated into three hours I don't know well Derek I hope you have a good time with your podcast and I'm always listening I'm always listening to your podcast thank you thank you Ray well guys what do you think did Ray have an experience with our old pals the mirrored man or did he simply fall asleep in his mother's lap and this whole thing was just a strange coincidence Now we have new listeners tuning in constantly, so let me refresh everyone's memory on these enigmatic entities. The mirrored men are a phenomenon not unlike the men in black or the black-eyed kids, but these guys are just a bit different. For starters, they often appear in groups of three, sometimes but rarely two. The three men look alike, they're dressed alike, and every movement they make is mirrored mimicked or copied. For example, like Ray suggested, marching soldiers. If the first one's leg lifts, all three of their legs lift. Now these beings seem to have the ability to stop time, as nearly every witness I've heard of seems to include large chunks of missing time to the symptoms of their encounter. And lastly, the physical appearance of the three men is typically unusual. Stretched or exaggerated facial features strange clothing, jerky movements. And last but not least, they often show up in rural areas, typically associated with strange or unusual weather. So in short, they're creepy as hell. And contrary to popular belief, this phenomenon is not limited to this paranormal program. Several keen-eyed listeners have written in claiming they heard mirrored men's stories on other podcasts. Strange familiars, unexplained encounters, let's not meet, bedtime stories podcast, paranormal dads, and many more have featured this triple threat. I've even linked to a few of these episodes in the show notes, if you'd like to take a look. And while I'm at it, a huge thanks to all those listeners that did write in with those suggestions. And in my search for external references, I even found a mirrored man's song. I didn't have time to get permission to play it on the air before I had to release this episode, but you can check out the instrumental by Icon Dark on Spotify or via the show notes in tonight's episode. So I suppose the point that I'm getting at here is that the mirrored men phenomena is not strictly a Monsters Among Us thing. We're just the first to put a name on it. 
a majority of the reports of these entities from outside sources do not even call them mirrored men. It seems most of them don't even know how to categorize this activity. But of all the things that I've learned researching these experiences, I can tell you this much. The more I hear about these experiences, the more I begin to realize an experience like Ray's can literally occur anywhere. So if you're staring out your windshield, out for a stroll in a nearby park, maybe you're on some sort of public transportation, regardless of where you are, if you see three men walking in unison, look away and walk away as calm as you can. Look away and walk away calm as you can. Thank you, Ray, for creeping us all out. It's certainly been too long since we've heard from those guys. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party rolling by joining us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Do me a huge favor and leave us a rate and review wherever you can. Five stars and a few kind words go a long way to help this show grow. And finally, music from tonight's episode was provided by Co.ag Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, and Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. still have a few pieces of information to share with you guys. So real quick, a brand new episode of my paranormal news program, Paraweekly, drops tomorrow evening on YouTube. This week I tell you about Sasquatch graves, ghostly children, and we even discuss a photo that might just depict the Mothman. That's Paraweekly on YouTube, where you can catch us on Facebook or Instagram as well. The full episode will be posted in all those locations. And lastly, don't forget that on December 23rd, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, we're going live again for this year's holiday special. Now this one's going to be a bit of a variety hour. And don't forget, if you have a spooky tale about the holidays, please hit me up. I'm looking for a few folks that might pre-record a video of them telling their story for us to play on the special. So if this is you, shoot me an email at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now... Tonight's secret entry is a mystery I've been wanting to play for quite a while now. And today just seemed like the right time. So all the way from the state of Alaska, please welcome Renee to the program. Hi, my name is Renee and I am calling about something that happened to me when I lived in Alaska. My father was in the uh, U.S. Army, so I've lived all over, but... When I was in first grade, we lived in Fairbanks, Alaska on Fort Wainwright Army Base. This is the weirdest little thing, and it's the only thing that's ever happened to me that I guess could be maybe sort of in the cryptid camp. But I was in first grade. We were at a little field trip to a garden. My mom was chaperoning, so it, was, it must have been in the spring because there wasn't snow and in Alaska. It was warm enough to have kids out. And I remember looking at a plant and thinking that it was pretty and leaning down to, like, touch the flower, and something bit me. Now, my mom, my teacher, they just brushed it off as if it were, you know, a thorn or a prickle on the plant. But something distinctly bit my thumb, and it was like a hard bite. And my mom just was like, you're fine. Never, you know, never gave it a second thought. But the weird thing about it is 
that if you look at my thumb, there were immediately two little dots. It wasn't bleeding. It's like it immediately scarred. Now, this happened about 30, 31 years ago. So over time, you know, it's just two little scars. And I will send you a picture that I took of it. It's, it's, they, they're faint, but they're still there now. But at the time, they were these two hard little balls under my skin. I was convinced it was a spider and I was going to be poisoned, but nothing ever happened. But something bit me in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I can't explain it. So that's my little story. I thought that you might enjoy that. I'm interested to hear what people have to say about that or what they think. Thanks. Thanks, Renee. Now there's one for you sleuths out there. Just like the spice bush swallowtail caterpillars from a few episodes back, I'm sure a few of you out there know exactly what got Renee that day. And we eagerly await your information. Thanks again, Renee, for sharing that call and the photo of which you can see in tonight's show notes. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night. 